It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. That's right. It's the unknown movie challenge. It's the unknown movie. What we gonna watch? Unknown movie challenge. It's the unknown movie. What we gonna watch? Unknown movie challenge. It's the unknown movie. What we gonna watch? Unknown movie challenge. That's right. It's the unknown movie challenge. Ready for battle. Hello and welcome again to another edition of the Slum Gully in America's only podcast. I am Jeff and I tossed a coin to the Witcher. Several hours behind me is Scott and we are joined by most of the new movie crew, Blanche and John. Hello everybody and Merry Christmas Eve to all of you. Aloha, Melikilikimaka. And I'd just like to apologize for my audio quality. I know I must sound like I'm coming from the bottom of a well, but I'm at my sister's home in Tigard, Oregon, which I believe is a Native American term, meaning I forgot my microphone. And I pushed him into a well. And that too, yeah. (laughs) And speaking of force powers, it's of course the end of the year. Which means we're drunk and depressed, but... It also means it's time for a Slumgullion tradition that goes back to the pilot episode. It's time for another Star Wars film. Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. Quote, unquote, end of the Skywalker series as a whole. And it is already proving to be not quite as divisive as The Last Jedi, but in its opening weekend, it is certainly proven to be divisive. It's certainly making bank, but people are either saying that it is a wonderful thrill-a-minute ride that is a fitting conclusion to the Skywalker saga, or... It's a piece of crap. So we're going to find out what we all thought, because that's what America's been waiting for. I believe that we all saw Star Wars in 77, did we not? Oh, yeah. No. I did. Yeah, not Flash. Age one, you didn't go see <laughs> Okay, okay, you're a youngin'. All right, when did you first see Star Wars? Well, the first one I saw in the theater was Return of the Jedi. And okay. I was, I don't know, maybe, maybe I was... I think you'd have been about seven years old. Okay. Um, but it. I did see the other ones before that. Probably. Okay. Uh, uh, all righty. <laughs> so we have three what my buddy Walter likes to call original original Jedis or OJs. And we have an OJ by proxy. So we are not like the 30-year-old YouTubers sitting with all the toys around us making videos. We actually, as far as I'm concerned, our opinions actually matter. Yes, I said that. Fight me on this. So... <laughs> Folks, before we get into some specifics, let's just go on a real quick roundtable. Non-spoilery, starting with Blanche. What did you think of the movie? I thought, on the whole, I, I overall enjoyed it, I guess. I had moments where I was like, oh, gosh, I wish oh, that was clunky. But, I mean, I've been a, I've watched Star Wars since I was a kid. I... Remember in the 90s going and standing in line to see the horrible prequels? That was a thing. Oh, yeah. As and, did we all. Yeah. And and so, yeah, I was going to be there for this. Yes, I was going to watch it. And yes, I would see it again because I still enjoyed it. And I did want to see the, the end of the Skywalker saga. And, um, yeah, I, I thought it was okay. It wasn't. It's not great filmmaking. It's a popcorn movie. But so are the other Star Wars movies. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
in that that's, had uh, things in common. And, and that that is a very good point there, Blanche. John, your initial thoughts. Like Blanche said, the, the other films, they were not really good films. Uh, it's just that there were things that had never been done before, right? It was something new, something very different. But as a film, not that great. But this this one, uh, I, I generally said, I am, and okay, this is fine, I'm enjoying it, it's a part of the, the uh, series, etc. But every so often there'd be this like, oh, you could have found a better way to do that, you know, and uh, there's some specifics, but we'll get into those later. <laughs> Alrighty, Scott. I was entertained by it, I, I've seen it twice now, I just actually came back from the second screening, and I had... Different opinions. It actually, for me, it was an improved experience the second time because, of course, I went into it with all the predictions and all the arguments and all the brouhaha online in my head. And then I saw what it actually was, which, of course, didn't conform to any of that. Uh, so there's always a little bit of dissonance between those two headspaces. The second time I was just watching it as a film, I did find it entertaining. After I saw it the first time the other night, I came home and I watched the first film. I refuse to call it A New Hope. And it, it's not episode four. It's the first film. And it's not great filmmaking. It, it is basically... McClunky. It's McClunky. It's, it's Flash Gordon with a lot more money. And I'm fine with that. I loved Flash Gordon when I was a kid. In fact, I, I will still watch those serials. And pe- uh... <laughs> no, not that one. <laughs> not that one. The Buster Crab one. Not the say ah one. <laughs> People used to say, well, why why do you love Star Wars so much? It's not good. And they would quote bad dialogue to me, knowing that I'm one of those jerks who believes that what people say to each other in a movie is actually important. And I've had this argument for years with other film fans and with people I've worked with in the industry who take no end of delight in reminding me that no, film is a visual medium. Dialogue is simply one element among many and far from the most important. Fine. But just as an experiment, Ask somebody what's their favorite movie, the movie they've probably seen more than any other. Chances are, the first thing they'll do is start quoting lines from it. Regardless, I've never defended George Lucas's writing. He's a visionary, but he technically he sucks. I have always said this, and yet somehow in Star Wars it doesn't matter. This is the one case where, yes, it's a visual medium, covers a multitude of sins. So I don't go to Star Wars looking for sparkling, quotable dialogue or characters that are flesh and blood instead of cardboard and wheat paste. But this movie definitely has the visual pizzazz, and it has its own virtues. It's, it's well acted, at least by Star Wars film standards. For the most part, the script isn't as McClunky as the first one. But also it doesn't have, as John was saying, that the shock of the new, the experience of seeing things you've never seen before. Although I take that back. This last screening, I was telling Jeff before we went on, I did see something I'd never seen before. About 10 minutes in, the screen froze. And, you know, Oscar Isaacs is a very attractive man, but boy, that was a really unfortunate freeze frame they got of him. (laughs) And it was on screen for a long time. The people were walking in and out. They were trying to find ushers, trying to find... Finally, the manager would come in, okay, we're working out, we're working out, everyone just keep your seats. And then nothing happened, nothing happened. They turned up the lights, and I thought, oh, they're probably going to come offer us our money back. And then they turned down the lights, and everyone cheered, and then nothing happened. We sat there, and finally... I don't know how long, maybe 15 minutes. The manager comes in and says, okay, everyone, please bear with us. We're going to reboot the movie. This is a, this is a new experience. 
I have never heard those words before. When it froze, everyone went silent. I was just sitting there muttering under my breath, buffering, buffering, buffering. It was was kind of like trying to watch, kind of like trying to watch porn on dialogue. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) and like I said, and like I said to Scott, hey, they're sending out patches for cats. So why can't they reboot Star Wars? Yeah, Cats got a, a downloadable content package like it's a video game. So that's the world we live in now. Yeah. There were a few times, and I'm sure John remembers this, every once in a while, especially if you were like in a, an old dollar theater, probably had a drunken projectionist who was working with an old print. Every once in a while, the film would get stuck in the gate and it would freeze for a second, but then it would burn. You get that nice melt, bubble yeah. effect. It would melt. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, there you go. Nine, $9 to watch. I told to look up Oscar Isaac's nose for 15 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, I'm kind of like Scott. I have seen the film twice now. And also, like Scott, my second experience was actually a little more enjoyable. I can't lie. The first time I sat there watching it, this is just because of me as who I am. The entire movie, Mike and Ike were in the back of my head talking about the film. Uh. I could not shut the boys up. So every single idiotic problem with the film, of which there are many, but then as you said, John, rightfully so, none of the films, with the exception of I two and a half, are really good films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The rest of them are fun popcorn films, as as you said. But um, this time when I went and saw it yesterday, I was able to uh, gag ball gag them and actually watch the movie as a Star Wars fan as opposed to a movie fan, if that makes sense. Perfectly. And while a few things still annoy me, one of which I am saving for the irritating thing, because it, it, it was the only moment in the film where I actually said out loud, I could not bite my tongue. I said, oh, fuck you. <laughs> and it actually got a laugh, which made me happy. But I did actually say, oh, fuck you to a Star Wars film. This was a first. But um, I, I actually did, like you said, Blanche, I was able to enjoy it for what it was. And it kind of made me happier because when I walked out the first time, I was very conflicted. I was very conflicted because what I liked, I really did enjoy. And what bugged me really, really fracking bugged me. And now I'm more like I'm a little more at peace with it. And also, another thing that helped me, and um, Scott, you're going to be posting a link to this on the website. Javier Grio Marks Watch, who worked on um, Lost, The Dark Crystal, he also created one of my favorite television series, The Middleman, wrote an article back uh, uh, when The Last Jedi came out that is so fucking brilliant talking about what Star Wars has become and what he wrote several years ago about The Last Jedi actually helped me come to be be more at peace with The Rise of Skywalker. I think everybody who is a Star Wars fan needs to read what this man wrote because it is absolutely brilliant. But that's enough of that. We've gotten into the gene- we've we've been generic. Now let's get specifics. The first thing that I want to say that I really liked was fucking Adam Driver. Mm-hmm. Well, I yeah, I never fucked him, but I'm sure he's fine. Was phenomenal. <laughs> Given them what what they gave him, he knocked it out of the park. Yes. <laughs> And I really do think that um, pretty much the, uh, as a whole, the cast did a phenomenal job with, again, I, qual- I, I qualify with what they were given. This was definitely, I think, the most interesting Ray has been. 
but I will pass it out to the group. Once again, what the heck? Let's start with Blanche and work that same way around again. What was one of your favorite things about the movie? What I thought was really interesting when I read about how they worked in Leia, Mm -hmm. uh, they looked at all the scraps of footage that they had and basically said, okay, how do we get our story told with these bits that we have? And they wrote scenes around what she said to try and make sense in that. And I was kind of impressed with that. Even though it was funky at times, it was like, oh, that was kind of a strange thing to say right there, Leia, okay. But on the other hand, it also humanized her because sometimes it was a little non sequitur and you go, oh, okay, sure, you could, you could say that, never underestimate a droid, or, you know, try to have a, a positive outlook, okay, yeah, sure, fine. So I, I kind of was impressed with that, but things that I really did like was the, the, the banter between Poe, Ray, and Finn. I just love that. That was the, the best part for me. This was the film that definitely made them sort of like the the trio, for lack of a better word, which was kind of cool. John, name something you really liked. I was going to say that uh, the, the thing about the, the banter was that they actually did it right, unlike uh, films that are generally like improv, they, they, they let the actors go, where when they improv, they just talk over each other, right? But in this case, they did exactly the kind of thing that I always like, is that they would not say anything until someone said the thing they can respond to. And even if they continued, they would respond, which is exactly how an argument goes. When you hear that word that you want to respond to, that's when you fight back. You don't just start talking over them because you know you have your own idea. Uh, and they did that really well. It was just like a regular argument. That was really good. And uh, generally, um, <laughs> there, are a lot of, there are a lot of things that I wasn't crazy about, but right. um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they, you, you a lot of the stuff was like there. You felt there was there were setup scenes. You know, you're not just things that float along with the story. It's like okay, everybody planned this. Although I really love the dance in the uh, festival. <laughs> All those people doing that dance at one time. Because I was looking at the background, and I'm sure that they CGI'd those people, but they were all doing in step, doing their, doing the dance. <laughs> I thought that was fun. Scott. I agree about the energy in the new trio. I mean, before I never really knew how. They all felt about each other. And now, even though they're not officially shipping um, Finn and Poe, there's a very sort of Sunday, bloody Sunday kind of three-way romantic triangle. Finn is into Ray, not romantically, but he's into her for some reason. He's emotionally dependent on her. And Poe is extremely jealous. He was sniping so bitchily at her. Yes. And I liked the friction and I liked the spark. Because one of the things about it is, that is you're supposed to, to assume that they've been friends for years or months or however much time has elapsed. And usually that doesn't work for me. But in this case, the fact that he had so much pent up resentment and she and she for him, that you could tell they've been getting on each other's last nerve for a long, long time. <laughs> it gave more depth to the relationship than they usually have. I also really like the fact that somebody finally had a moment of unhinged grief in one of these films yeah. because there's so many people die and dealt with by looking away to the horizon for a moment that said, all right, let's get back to killing. And I liked Chewbacca's reaction to Leia's death. It reminded you yeah. of how long he's known her 
and what they've meant to each other and what they've gone through. I mean, he was down on his knees in the dirt, throwing off Poe when he tried to put his hand on his shoulder, pounding his It's like, okay, yes, you're basically your last old friend is dead. Abrams got it right this time. This time he did, yes. The last time he got it wrong, this time he got it right. And yes, 100%. Carry on. <laughs> well, I think that that was a reaction to the incredibly gaping oversight of the first film where she didn't even react to Chewbacca when he came back and, and she found out that Han was dead. But a lot of this film seemed like Abrams reacting directly, not so much to Ryan Johnson's actions, but to the criticism that Abram received for the first film. It seems like he was trying to pick up the spare on a lot of things that people had problems with the first time. That's actually, yeah, okay. I can definitely see that. Now, I do want to ask, talking about the betentacle wrinkled elephant in the room, <laughs> how did you guys feel about Palpatine coming back? Oh, a zombie Palpatine! It's <laughs> a zombie Sith. I was like, oh my god, it's a zombie movie now. <laughs> I thought it was more like he was more like puppet Palpatine because he was on the end of that long arm. He reminded that me was, of the Boar Queen. The Boar Queen, exactly. Yeah, it's like I thought. Okay, this is this crane arm like a basically a droid? Does he have his hand up his ass? What is? Is he working them out? <laughs> well, the whole Palpatine Sith arena thing was ridiculous to me. I was like, where are they? What is this? These guys just hang around. It must really stink in there. I don't understand. <laughs> Why are they just sitting around watching a man on a crane just dangling? It's weird. It's, it's I mean, it's weird. It's, he needs an audience. Like Trumpy needs an audience, exactly. Yeah, I was a little surprised to find out that the Emperor, who basically you only ever saw in a room with like a couple of guards and whatever Jedi he was verbally abusing, is, is an arena rock act, apparently. <laughs> I was like, is, is Cheap Trick opening for the Emperor at Alpine Valley? What is exactly, and, and then they all got stoned afterward. Oh, oh, I see what you did there. All right. Okay. <laughs> shame, but points. Some more shame, but a few points. See, John loves that. To John, uh, uh, is as good as a laugh. Oh, he says yeah. nothing wrong with that. I, I, I have to admit, like first time I and just that opening crawl, the dead speaks, and I knew Palpatine. I mean, we knew Palpatine was coming back, but still, when that the dead speaks pops up, I, my, I, I thought the same thing that you said, uh, Blanche. I, I said it's Zombie Palpatine. <laughs> <laughs> and I really had a hard, I really had a hard time going with it because I was like, you know, I kind of wanted. Again, this is what I wanted versus what we got. I really w wanted Kylo to be the big bad for the final movie. I kind of did, but he was, you know, I know Abrams is tying up everything, so I, I understand the reasoning for br for bringing Palpatine back. Whether or not I agree with it is something else entirely. That being said, man, can Ian McDermott chew up scenery? <laughs> And I mean that in the best way possible, much like in Revenge of the Sith. I mean, he is clearly, you know, relishing every moment that he's back on screen again. You know, more power to him. Yeah, he's uh, chewing the scenery every bite 32 times. That was that was rich scenery cud that he was chewing. And I, I know he has his fans. And, and people love the, the sort of over-the-top theatricality that he brought to it. And, and a lot of people think that he was alone among all the cast members of Return of the Jedi in knowing exactly what kind of movie he was in and going with it. But I have never been a fan of his performance. And this didn't really change my mind. Although 
it wasn't quite as over the top, if only because he was just hanging there. And, and there's only so so condescending you can be when you're you're dangling and and a zombie. He was like, it wasn't it wasn't The Walking Dead. It was The Dangling Dead. He was just hanging there. So uh, it was like getting that porno. <laughs> it's like getting chewed out by a marionette. The same thing. <laughs> it'll be out next year i'm telling you (laughs) all right let's see here a couple a couple of other like key points before we get into the fascinating irritating this is going to be the shortest slum gullion ever folks so enjoy it this one you can like and share and not have to worry about falling asleep (laughs) um okay C-3PO, did you like his getting his memories back, or do you think he should have stayed white? I thought it was just a detour in the story that we didn't need, and it was there for a couple of jokes that were not worth the trip. But on the subject of C-3PO, I was surprised by how much screen time he, he got. I don't think he's been in it this much in any of these new films. I like Anthony Daniels. His his performance is also over the top in its own way, but I've always enjoyed him. But I thought that whole subplot was just stupid and if they were going to go there they ought to have had him just die they they ought to have said well we could retrieve this information but it's going to irreparably fry your circuits and we'll just have to sell you for scrap however with your dying cyber breath you'll be able to help save the galaxy i think that might have been a cool way for him to go up because through all the films he's been depicted as a comically cowardly character who is very interested in self-preservation often to the exclusion of all else and to have him make the big sacrifice play would have shown growth and I think would have been a satisfying conclusion, at least for that character. Instead, they say, well, you'll be reset to your factory defaults. That's really the stakes are low, frankly. <laughs> what? No. no I, I thought the stakes were kind of high because he would remember the original trio and, and he was with Anakin and he, I mean, he goes way back, right? Right. So I thought that they were going to wipe his memory and this was going to be like a re like a reboot like now because i think this film set up a lot of uh future stories that are going to happen however they happen whether it's video games or or cartoon or whatever so i thought that that was going to be kind of like okay that is done we've put the old stories to bed with the skywalkers and he and so now he's going to start fresh and there won't be any pressure or need to constantly in his dialogue or whatever uh, say, oh, yes, well, Master Luke did this, or, you know what I mean? Like, right. remembering those memories, because it's all new to him, is what I thought, along with setting up Finn being, you know, uh, probably Ray's first pupil, or Padawan, or whatever, and, mm-hmm. you know, other these other things that they seem to be kind of seeding, but then they didn't, so. Right. Like you said, Scott, it, it kind of ended up being a not important thing, really, when it could have been, kind of. Right, exactly. And and to me, the stakes weren't important because he's he doesn't remember Anakin. He doesn't remember that Darth Vader built him because he got he got memory wiped at the end of the, the stupid prequels. That's right. He, oh, right. He That's right. So I'm like, well, that happens periodically to droids in this universe. So, all right, whatever. De- go ahead. Defrag his hard drive. Maybe he'll be less annoyed. Who knows? Well, we know that will never happen. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, next question, and this one I'm going. I'm going to start with you, John. Is what's her face Lando Calrissian? And B, were you were you not slightly creeped out by the way he asked her? You want to go find out? <laughs> uh, considering the age difference between me and Blige, no. 
But do you? But do you think that's his daughter? Actually, I did not. That did not cross my mind. No, not at all. I just thought he was hitting on the young kid. Mm. Alrighty then. <laughs> now I have to admit, I wouldn't mind it. Like you know, like a a four or five episode Disney Plus series of Lando and this chick going around the universe. Yeah, I, I think it's. Uh, you know, they're saying, oh, it's going to be a Lando series. I think it would be Calrissian, and yes, it will be. She will be his daughter, and it'll really be about her because. You know, honestly, he's the man is in his 80s, so you can start a Disney Plus series with him. But, you you know, if you want it to go on and on, you probably want to have it really be about her if that's going to happen. Right. I did get some of that creepy old Ledger vibe at the end, because when she says, where are you from, General? He's looking off into the distance and replies sort of absently, oh, I'm from Gold System. And then he turns around and gets a look at her and suddenly it's, oh, his voice acquires that velvety, I'm going to sell you some malt liquor quality. <laughs> but what's Star Wars without a little incest? It goes way back. Exactly. Back to basics. Yeah, you got to start off drooling over each other and then realize, oh, shit, we're family. Like, okay, all right. And that's the old Billy D vibe, you know. Yep. <laughs> It's very true. And the, 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 the final point for discussion that I want to toss out to the group, I'm really interested in your thoughts on this. The ending. Ray Skywalker. Effective not. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's one of the things I thought could have been done better. Because, first of all, I guess uh, everybody has a nosy neighbor, including the old Skywalkers. Yeah. <laughs> Gladys Kravitz in space. Oh, he's been here. What are you doing here? And then, you know, she asks, who are you? And then the next question is, you know, Ray who? That's the next thing you would ask. I would have liked it better if she said, like, you know, this is the Skywalker place. Are you a Skywalker? Then she would see the, see the two Skywalkers and say, yes, I am. That kind of would have been better. It was kind of a setup by her saying, um, Ray who? Okay, here it comes, folks. <laughs> She's going to make that decision. You know, so it was, that was a little ham-handed for me. Oh, I agree. That's a good note. Your fix would have made for a much more believable moment because it does have a very, here's the wind-up and the pitch, low and outside. Yeah. yeah. Did you notice that there were a lot of last names in this movie? I think the reason the last names were stressed a little bit oddly, and I agree with you, is because that's the theme of the movie. It's about family, family connections, what defines family. Uh, I mean, they make a point of dramatically tweaking Ray's tender feelings on the subject several times, especially at the Elephant Man Festival, where the little elephantess says, oh, I'd be honored to know your family name. And Ray gets this pained expression and says, oh, I don't have one. I'm just Ray. But later, Luke makes a point of telling her there are more important things than blood, so that when Palpatine plays the I am your grandfather card, she doesn't buy it, and he has to resort to threatening her new family by choice, which is basically what he did to Luke at the end of Return of the Jedi. At least I think that's what's going on. It was a little bit muddled, and the film, especially in the beginning, felt a little rushed and a bit choppily edited in places. And I think that's because it wasn't just a movie, and it wasn't just the conclusion to a massive undertaking. It was also damage control. As I said, uh, Abrams spent a, a good part of his screen time saying to critics of his past work, oh, I see you, or working around the enormous gap left by the death 
death of Carrie Fisher or, or walking back some of Ryan Johnson's choices. So the whole picture is, as much as I did like parts of it very much, there were times when it felt more like a, a Venice boardwalk juggling act than it did a coherent story with a confident grasp of its own themes. You know, Blanche brought up something. What are we saying about J.J. Uh, Abrams' uh, personal life? That he's got all these unrequited feelings going on. <laughs> Where he's got Finn wants Ray, but Ray wants Kylo. And uh, Rose wants Finn, but Finn wants Ray. And then, uh, what's his name? Uh, Poe wants Zori, and Zori's saying, nah. <laughs> None of that. Sorry. You know, so he would take anybody, but still, Zori says no. So it's like all this unrequited <laughs> stuff back and forth. Well, you know, nobody gets laid. Nobody gets laid in Star Wars. I mean, that's right. just, it's its all unrequited stuff. And the only person who ever got laid. Well, we know the, em come on, we know the emperor got laid. I, I think he was a sperm donor, frankly. Uh, I can't see him actually doing it with anybody. But, but Anakin did with Padme, and that turned out horribly. That was That was a disaster. So I think and, that was, and Palpatine would have done it when he was a senator, you know, before he was all right. And you know what those guys are like. There's always these sex scandals going on in the Senate. So, <laughs> uh, well, by the way, one thing that was not cleared up in the movie has officially been cleared up. I don't know if you saw this or not. You know how repeatedly Finn wanted to tell Ray something. He never got around to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. did, did you hear what, what, what it is? It has officially been confirmed. No, what? No. He was going to tell Ray that he is force sensitive. Would have been nice if that had happened in the movie, but J.J. Abrams confirmed it. I actually did hear or see that theory on Twitter after I saw it the first time. So when I rewatched it, I looked for signs of it. And yeah, it's pretty obvious that he becomes increasingly force sensitive throughout the film uh, yes. to the point where by the climax, he can sense when Ray dies, just as Leia did when Han was killed, even though Finn and Ray are separated by an astronomical distance. Right. The, the, I have a feeling. Right. So the film was saying that. I mean, I thought he was either going to say he was force sensitive or lactose intolerant. I can't eat cheese. <laughs> that that blue milk is nasty. Oh, exactly. And actually, I do have, <laughs> I do have one final question before fascinating, irritating, and this 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 can be a this can be a quick or a discussion. I don't care. The the Ray and Kylo kiss, yay or ew? It was ew at first, and then I had to think about it because I was like, I would I really wanted them to just like to, to touch their foreheads together, you know, like like a yes, a connection they needed to be close but then i thought well they've been inside each other's heads and that's about as intimate as you can get so they i mean they could have i don't know i just as i tend to do i found an explanation for it that made me make it feel less ooh. okay that, and that's what i can and seeing it seeing it the second time uh, i did see that it was ray that initiated it so i think that was a lot that kind of mollified it because if it was kylo that did it that just that would have been just lazy. Yeah, that's exactly. That's, <laughs> that's that's just more conquesting for him. My initial reaction, the first time I saw it, was very similar. Because as they were holding each other, and their faces were inching closer together, and they were looking deeply into one another's eyes, I was squirming in my seat, just thinking to myself, don't kiss, please don't kiss, please don't kiss. But the fact that she initiated it actually made it fine. I was like, oh, okay. Carry on. And I will give Adam Driver a lot of credit for this moment because when they cut to his face, as she pulls away, you can see in his eyes, oh, he's been so. 
especially when he smiles for, I'm pretty sure, the first time in the entire trilogy. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, so I, I agree. If, if it had been he who initiated it, it would have been a serious Me Too violation. And the fact that she did it made it feel less romantic than forgiveness and an acknowledgement that he'd been redeemed and the darkness had left him. Especially when she pulled away and he had this vulnerable, bashful, borderline goofy expression on his face that was decidedly unsith-like. It's hard to imagine a Sith going, gosh. <laughs> and then he dies. And, I, and when he died, I'm thinking, oh, great. Now what's going to happen? Are they just going to have this tug of war where they, no, no, you take the life. No, no, you take it. They're pushing on each other's stomachs. And, there's a... <laughs> and then they just had him just like disappear out of his clothes and that again and I go, oh thank god because this could have just <laughs> <laughs> you can't take it back now we're going to focus on eight things in particular as we get to the infamous fascinating irritating and as always we begin with fascinating and as always for this episode we begin with Blanche oh fascinating uh, that Abrams managed to pull as many strings together and tie them up and also I think set a few future storylines I did enjoy it and I'm, I was pleased by that so my irritating is that Ben was not a ghost at the end. He was a redeemed soul. Anakin came back. Why wasn't Ben there? That bugged the shit out of me. Where was yep. he? He's yep. a Skywalker. Yep, yep. Standing there with the Skywalkers. And and when she says, I'm a Skywalker, that's my irritating and this is another one where Abrams dropped the ball. He just doesn't understand the that part, the real deep emotional that's why he screwed up when Han died, and, mm-hmm. and he screwed up here. You're absolutely right. That irritated the crap out of me, too. And had Ben been there at the end with Luke and Leia, I really wouldn't have minded that Ray expropriated the Skywalker name. It wouldn't have seemed as presumptuous. And in fact, uh, like Blanche, when I was uh, trying to justify it in my own mind later, I thought, oh, well, maybe she considers that her married name. Uh, replacing the Anakin spirit with the new Anakin. Uh, which I absolutely hated it in Return of the Jedi when they redid it. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was awful because all of a sudden, you know, he's no longer old. He was just, his spirit was when he was young, redeemed when he was young. I don't know. But eliminating Ben entirely, yeah, that's probably a, on, at least on the par with that. Yeah. It reminded me of um, one of Scott's books that he posts where, you know, I married a ghost type of thing. <laughs> and, uh, since they can feel each other across planes of existence and so it would be ghosts sex and stuff it'd be really weird anyway it became a porn ghost sex sounds like a hong kong category three film from 1991 (laughs) (laughs) they made that okay john my fascinating is not necessarily a good fascinating. It's just fascinating. And as something Blanche brought up about how they had these scenes that were set up where, you know, everybody was going to war. Oh, boy, we're going to war. Oh, boy, we're going to war. Everyone's happy, 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 happy. And, <laughs> yeah. um, but my irritating was the fact that after saying, no, I'm not going to kill you and join the Sith, she kills him. And I said, if you'd have done that before, all these people wouldn't have died. If you'd have just gone ahead and did it. Yeah. But no. didn't have to die. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Our heroine is a mass murderer who basically wiped out the entire capacity crowd of spectators at 
Sith Staples Center, wherever the hell they were at the end. Yeah, exactly. It's just so why yeah. I don't get it. I would, what's the difference? Why why is it different now that you kill him? That was irritating for me. Okay, Scott, you're fascinating. I was also fascinated by the way the filmmakers gathered the disparate pieces and stitched them together. It was a little Frankensteinian in places, and there were some visible scars, but it, it did work. It did cohere enough, in my opinion, to make it entertaining and, and reasonably satisfying. But it also illuminated how ultimately pointless online fandom could be. I mean, everything is microscopically scrutinized and second-guessed and argued over ad nauseum. And I know that's part of the fun of it. But then you finally see the film, and it's it's usually so far removed from the predictions everybody took as holy writ, which is a good thing, because most fan theories would make for deeply shitty movies. But it, it's it's often hard to tell if the people who don't like it don't like it because it isn't good or because it doesn't match the movie some guy predicted in a Usenet thread. So, Usenet thread. God, I'm old. <laughs> um, but the thing that really drove that home for me, the, the part that I found absolutely hilarious, was how fans spent years guessing and theorizing who Snoke was, painting elaborate backstories, trying to fit him into canon, guessing which uh, expanded universe character he might be. And what's the reveal? The emperor grew him in a fishbowl like sea monkeys. <laughs> Snoke is a sea monkey. I like that. What's that, Pledge? I think it was a fuck you to fandom. It kind of felt like that to me, and I was okay with it. Me too. I was like, that's great. Yeah, I feel like every once in a while, fandom, of which I am an unabashed part, needs a good fuck you from the creative community to remind them that, yes, you love this, you support this, the Vox Populi is important, but uh, but you don't own it, and you don't make it. You're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me, exactly. And that's the thing. The, the filmmakers have bosses. They have investors to answer to. They have employees to look after. And some fans go, well, it shouldn't be a business that's so cold mercenary. It should be in the hands of people who love it. And fine, but you know what? People are least rational about the things they're most passionate about. So irritating for me was the degree to which the filmmakers did seem to cave to some of the criticism. I think, for instance, that Kelly Marie Tran was not well served. I, I would almost rather they didn't bring her back at all than give her so little to do when she was such a pivotal character in the previous film. I think she has something less than two minutes of total screen time in, in this one. And that that feels like a concession to the to the vocal minority of misogynistic and racist fans who took exception to an Asian woman becoming an important part of Star Wars. Of course, I, <laughs> the joke's on them because they replaced her with a black girl. Uh, but when I was watching it, I kept wondering why they introduced an entirely new character two-thirds of the way through the story just to give Finn someone to run around with when they already had an established character who has a resume full of running around with Finn experience. No, they, they just threw her away. And and maybe, you know, maybe it wasn't cowardice. Maybe it was a hard-headed business decision. Maybe, as Blanche mentioned, they were looking to establish Janna so they could spin her off into a, a Disney Plus series. But aside from the subplot uh, about the other stormtrooper deserters, which only served to make Finn less unique as a character... Uh, there was nothing that Janna did that Rose couldn't have done. So so why even bother? You have to have the horses. They did have the horses. Undetectable horses. Yeah, because that really paid off. There, there, there was a lot that didn't pay off. There, There's a lot of loose ends. There's a lot of stuff that was shoved down the memory hole. But despite that, all, all in all, 
I think I have less complaints about this than I did about Return of the Jedi, if only because nobody in this gave as bad a performance as Mark Hamill did in that. Hmm. I love Mark Hamill, uh, but it seems as though Richard Marquand uh, used every single one of his worst takes. Or, or maybe it was a deliberate acting choice, and, and he was just trying to out-sneer and out-scenery to Ian McDiarmid. And, you know, just stay in your lane, Mark. <laughs> My irritating thing, and this is the moment where I said, fuck you, Chewbacca getting his medal 40 years after the fact. Leia kept that for that long. She wanted to have it after she died. She's really that much of a bitch. In 40 years, she couldn't give him a goddamn medal. That that really just jumped up my craw for some dumbass reason. My most fascinating thing, and this is a very, I think this is a very appropriate way to end this. As I was walking out of the theater my second time, I was, there was a family in front of me and they were talking about the films and um, while the young children, they were about seven, eight, nine years old, somewhere in there. They had seen all of the movies. I, this was the, the first one that apparently I got from the conversation that the kids had seen in the theater and they absolutely loved it. They thought it was the best one. I was listening to these kids talk and the excitement that they had over this film and the way they were describing this film, it just reminded me of me when I was seven years old seeing A New Hope for the first time. And this film was able to do that for kids and if that inspires them to do even anything, you know, that's fucking awesome. And in that respect, then J.J. did his job. Agreed. And that wraps up our look at Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Thanks to John and Blanche for joining us. And as always, thanks to you for listening. Jeff and I will be back soon to talk about the last few unbelievable episodes of The Mandalorian. See you hopefully before the new year, but if not after the new year. Until later, later.